Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Hey, Wendy, it's been a long time since we recorded in a Super 8. It has been a long time. Yeah. Gosh, I think it was the last time that we recorded at Cherry Pit Studios, maybe. I believe I believe so, because Super 8 is the hotel in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin, <laughs> that has a hot tub, free breakfast, and is close to our studio. And I'm so mad I forgot my bathing suit, That's so right. I can't enjoy the hot tub. And the thing is, I don't care if I forgot my bathing suit. So, hope you guys are having fun at a Friday night, and, uh, well, you're about to see more than you bargained for. Well, I could use a hot tub, because according to my... Uh, fitness watch here today i drummed the equivalent of walking 16.4 miles nice so it was like a it was like a forced march <laughs> it was so it's a little good warm-up for the marathon nice yeah wendy you got a marathon coming up in just that's two right. days that's exciting yeah well uh make sure everybody on sunday sends nice whiz oh actually it'll be done by then Make sure you send congratulations to Twitter's at Sunspot Wendy and let her know congrats for finishing the Madison Marathon. Because oh, I'm sure you. you're going to have a personal best. Well, thank you. We're recording this before the marathon, but you'll hear it after the marathon. So I'll probably be lying flat somewhere, unable right. to move. But... So you might tweet at Sunspot Wendy and you'll just see a corpse. <laughs> thank you. Anyway, we were in the recording studio today. It was, it was awesome. Yes, yes. We're making some brand new recordings of some songs that we wrote for this very podcast. Mm-hmm. To giving them the official big production studio treatment. Yeah, so that's been a lot of fun. And speaking of fun, let me tell you about my favorite ghost tour in the whole world. What was that, Mike? And you've been on a lot of them, so you've got I experience. Really, I really have been on a lot of them. It was in Edinburgh, Ooh. and it was called the City of the. It was called the City of the Dead. <laughs> That's right. We all put on our kilts and we're like, hey, let's, hey, the dead people, how you like this? Uh, how you like my, my bait and tackle? Uh, yeah, that's what we well, did. Well, that sounds fun. Yeah, it and was very fun. scary. It was, it, actually, it was pretty scary. And we talk about that because we talk about the Mackenzie poltergeist. And people have had a lot of experiences with the strange Mackenzie poltergeist on the City of the Dead tours, including me. So I tell my own story that I had in Edinburgh in late July of 2008. I can't wait to hear it because, you know, between the two of us, we haven't had very many experiences. No, we're not, so. one, of the, we're not one of those groups of people that are like, oh, man, everybody's had so many paranormal. <laughs> like, it only happens a few times that something yeah. crazy will happen, something you really can't explain. Right. And this is something I couldn't explain, so we talked about that in the interview. Cool. Um, we had Fred Fogarty. Fred! And so um, yes. we, we met Fred actually at the Chicago Ghost Convention in 2016. That's right. Yes. Met him at our uh, See You on the Other Side booth, in fact, at the Willowbrook Ballroom, which is unfortunately now... Now burned down. Wendy burned it down. Hey, I didn't burn it I'm down. I'm just kidding. Resurrection Mary burned it oh, down. Yes, yes. Uh, but yeah, sad to see that haunted venue gone. But it was neat that we got to experience that conference there, and that's where you met Fred. And immediately, you know, as a fellow ghost guide, that's right. it was like easy to strike up a friendship with him. Yeah, and, and so... Uh, Allison from Milwaukee Ghost, my sister and fellow ghost guide and weirdo who's on the podcast all the time. She's kept in contact with him. She's working on marketing for the uh, Hawaii Paracon, which we'll talk about at the end of the podcast, too. And anyway, uh, Fred came back to Chicago this October and we talked to Fred about weird stuff, about his own experiences and all the cool stuff that he's seen as the tour guide for the city of the dead. Adventurer and storyteller Fred Fogarty has been working with the City of the Dead tours in Edinburgh, Scotland for over a decade. He leads ghost walks into the Covenanters' prison and the Black Mausoleum in Greyfire's graveyard, home of the infamous Mackenzie Poltergeist. It's his job to stay calm when the Mackenzie Poltergeist attacks, inflicting physical effects on tourists including scratches, bite marks, bruises, welts, vomiting, and loss of consciousness. He spent the last five years also developing a system of well-being that makes improving and maintaining mental health accessible, fun, and enjoyable, and firmly where it belongs, within you. All right, joined by my sister, Allison, joined from Milwaukee Ghosts. Yay! Hi, how you doing today? Oh, great. We've got a great show for you today. All right, that's, that sounds good. Now, 
Fred, I've been to the city of the dead, and I have been molested by the Mackenzie Poltergeist. <laughs> he had, he has, he had, he, well, he touched my shoulder. I, oh, I don't know. I, I'm the only one in this conversation who's not been touched by the Mackenzie Poltergeist. I'm getting a yeah. complex. But my wife and I went on the tour, and we had a great time. And this is probably about, actually 10 years ago, uh, or nine years ago, though. And um, we were having fun on the tour, and then we were in the mausoleum. And um, I'm in the back, and I think that my wife is putting her arm around me. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. You know, that, that, not that she's that warm or whatever, or going to be something, you know, like, oh, you're going to put my arm around me in the ghost tour. But I feel somebody put their arm around me, and I'm like, oh, hi, honey. And then I look at her, and she's like two feet away. And I'm the closest person to the back wall. And I'm like, okay then. So I have been, I have felt the the, the chilly embrace of the Mackenzie Poltergeist. Um, <laughs> so that's a lot of fun. How, ma- you know, how many stories do you hear about what happens on that tour? May I just ask, was it, um, was it a chilly embrace or was it warm and loving or? <laughs> it, it was just somebody putting their hand on my shoulder. All oh, right, there you go. Oddly enough, that stuff happens more frequently, I think, around the around the walls, um, and I have a suspicion that that's the case. That it's more widely reported because it's really tricky to dismiss it at that point. There, if you're in the middle of the group, then then you can just blame it on anybody you like. But if you're right. at the back, it's really tricky to ignore. And that's when most people start to, I think it starts this like, self-fulfilling prophecy in their mind where it just accelerates and accelerates as they pay attention to it and freak out more. Um, the stories come through weekly. Every week there is some new piece of information, some new uh, experience that someone has had, uh, at least one. It's, um, it's not always the case that someone collapses once a week. And we'd be hard-pressed oh. to keep a tour, I think, open if that was the case. So I'm not special. The Mackenzie Poltergeist doesn't love me extra or whatever. Like he <laughs> likes to touch everybody. You are one of hundreds, but you're okay. one of hundreds and not one of millions. So, <laughs> okay. That's, so I'm I am a teensy bit special. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So Fred, where are you from, and how did how did you become weird? <laughs> I think I have always been weird, oh, for sure. I originally I grew up in London, moved to Edinburgh for university, and stayed there because it is I think a truly beautiful city. Um, it is, it's so rich in history. The buildings have got some beautiful architecture um, and it's got all of the, the excitement and adventure that a capital city can offer in the space of uh, just, a, just a couple of miles or so. I mean, you can actually walk across this from one side of the center of Edinburgh to the other in about 40 minutes. Um, so yeah, it's real nice. Um, so how did I get weird? Uh, that, 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 is it in the genes? I don't know. Nature, nurture. Did you have a paranormal experience growing up in London or anything? Or did you, no, um, I no mean, indeed. were you yourself touched by a ghost? <laughs> <laughs> Very topical. Um, I was not, no. My mother and my sister both experienced something in the house I grew up in, family home. Um, and my father and I did not. Um, and... They, they mentioned it briefly to me and they never made much more of it. It never seemed to be anything um, unpleasant, menacing. Uh, it just seemed to just be there. And certainly at some point, uh, something had changed and I forget what it is right now. Um, and when my sister came home after a period away, she noticed that it had gone. My mother had already noticed this. They both recognized it at about the same time. Very interesting. Um, but in fact, my interest in the paranormal and the, the truly weird um, yeah. was not excited, I suppose, not tickled, titillated, until I started working for City of the Dead Tours. A friend of mine got me into it. It took him uh, <laughs> like three years or so to encourage me to step up and take a job with the company. Um, were you already an actor or something? No, or were you doing, I mean, you're no. just a theatrical type? No, it wasn't even then. I wasn't even a drama queen then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But you sure are now, right? (laughs) Right. How things have changed. (laughs) (laughs) I used to be super shy, super, super shy up until about 21, 22. Um, But yeah, I went in doing some administration stuff for the company. um, And eventually they figured I was growing loud and obnoxious enough to dump me on the front lines. And then, yeah, it turns out they never looked back. It's been really interesting. Um, And just... Like, it's really hard to be around somewhere where every week there's something weird going on. Every, every one to two months, like, something major is happening. Um, and so many weird tales. 
um, it's really, really tricky just not to get interested in it. For people who are unfamiliar with uh, Edinburgh or, you know, you know Greyfriars and stuff like that, let's, let's go into and just give us the, uh, the simple elevator speech about um, the tour, the City of the Dead tour. Sure, okay. So it goes into two locations within Edinburgh city centre itself. And the more recent one, in fact, is the older location in terms of people's um, experiences within it. Uh, it is the South Bridge Vault, um, completed construction in the late 1700s um, and largely unfit for purpose, intended as warehouses, vaults, storehouses, like an, um, an extension of uh, Edinburgh's first shopping mall, um, and turned out to be just awful. It leaked badly. That the, 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 um, There was no really sewage, sewage system in Edinburgh, so people died, moved out. Uh, and eventually, well, very shortly after it became empty, or empty-ish, uh, it became full of um, Edinburgh's poorest, most destitute people living in horrifying, mm. squalid, cramped conditions and in almost perpetual darkness. Like candles cost money, they can't afford it. Uh, death is regular, frequent, in quite surprising numbers. The figure I've had quoted at me is a life expectancy maximum of 18 months from moving in. Um, I haven't checked the... And Jason, you see that, but that's certainly what's quoted. Okay, well, that's right, the nasty, brutish, and, and short, like, right there. Right, indeed. Um, so, it's, a, it, like, I find the place fascinating for a number of reasons. Firstly, the experiences of people down there. Secondly, how people freak themselves out. It's hilarious. Um, lots of fun um, and fascinating insight into people. And it's also a location that we managed to largely forget about for a hundred years, which is super surprising given that it's never really been empty. There's always been some kind of warehouse down there okay, um, or storage space down there. And when we largely forgot about it, primarily rediscovered when a guy who owned a nearby pub um, was replacing a broken urinal and fell through. Uh, oh man, that is that <laughs> is the, the worst, urinal? Uh, the worst thing to fall it. through. It's important by here, Anderson. That handsome picture. Yeah. A very smelly picture. Yeah, very ammonia picture. So that's the that's the older one in terms of people's experiences there, because people have experienced weird stuff going on down there, and it's been reputedly cursed and haunted since uh, since its construction began. And so, what I like to hear about that though is that. I mean, when we talk about something built in the late 1700s, I mean, you basically have the East Coast and everything else, you know, is built maybe 150 years ago if you're if you're lucky. Mm. And so you're like, oh yeah, well that's late 1700s, and that's the newer one, or that you know, that's I mean, when you're talking about Edinburgh, you're talking about the sure. UK. You can talk about things going back in millennia versus uh, decades, and mm. I think that's an that's an exciting thing because there's so much extra history and so many more. Uh, well, spirits to show up. Well, let's hope so, huh? Um, right. The it's it's the location we've only been doing more recently, but it has been around with weird goings on for longer. The graveyard, the Greyfriars graveyard, and the Covenanters prison. They are older than that, dating back to what well, prior to the 1600s is when the place was being used. I guess by the monks nearby, um, but only um, subsequent to that um, being opened up as a graveyard for public use. And the grave and the Covenanters prison, the space at the back, was a space that was last um, gave, donated to the church, the kirk, to use as burial space after it had been used as what was allegedly one of the world's earlier versions of a concentration camp, dating back to the mid 1600s. Okay, so what do you mean by early version of a concentration camp? Like, who who they who they put there? Exactly. Yes, um, there were like Scottish history is long and complex, and I am no expert in it. I've got many colleagues of mine who are phenomenal. You're not even wearing a kilt right now. I am which means not you're doing right. that. It is rainy, <laughs> and it's Fair. cold, and it's windy, and that is no time for a man to be wearing you, not, a kilt. Now, just to give you guys some context. Fred's not in the UK today. Fred is in Chicago, which uh, and 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 it's a it's a cold November day. So if he was wearing a kilt, at, to the traditional way, obviously with no underwear, and that's my I myself am not wearing underwear either. Um, it's just gonna it's TMI, just gonna be Mike, TMI. It's just gonna be chilly <laughs> on your bait and tackle. That is arguably true. I'm not willing to do the research though. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. So okay. 
so 1600s, the concentration camp. Sure, okay. How did people so, get stuck there? Uh, at the risk of butchering a whole swathe of a um, whole bunch of Scottish history, 1,200 people remained after um, a large portion of Scotland either signed or endorsed a document known as the National Covenant with God. Right. Uh, the original piece of the document was signed in the um, in Greyfriars graveyard itself, Greyfriars Kirkyard, um, and portions of this document, dating back to around 1638-ish, I think, um, are are echoed in places almost verbatim in parts of your constitution here in the States. It's a phenomenally important document. Um, so they, they go off fairly sizable army, end up with a few catastrophes, and eventually only 1,200 of the, this army uh, remains. These 1,200 people are marched back to Edinburgh, allegedly with no shoes on their feet, mm. um, and marched into this area of the graveyard. Uh, it's okay. not large. They're forced to lie face down through five months of a brutal Scottish winter with only enough food, um, shelter, water, clothing, so as to draw out their suffering for months on end. Um, and all this placed just beautifully at the southwestern corner of the old city. Um, I suspect so as to send a truly um, striking message and warning to the remainder of the city that no, um, no insurrection, no rebellion of this kind will ever be brooked again. Okay, and so what we're talking about is that the fact that uh, England wanted to get Scotland into the fold. So they wanted to take over, right? If I if I get my history correct, they it's the usual it's it's the fight between two people. I want your land, I want your stuff. And I think it's more accurate to say it's a fight between two people. To say the Scots were inevitably or invariably the um recipients of unwanted attention is is largely inaccurate. Um there, okay. there, there is so much squabbling. Like in my mind it's like two brothers like just constantly going over the line um <laughs> there there is so much complexity to it that is a topic for another convers- another webcast and another person right so so instead of a fist fight at christmas it's mm-hmm. you know hundreds of people getting slaughtered basically okay yeah all right well we'll keep the fact that Alison and i are gonna get a fist fight at christmas <laughs> <laughs> i look forward to it mike it's on yeah all right all right i'm already working out so okay so this happens these guys they're from the Scottish army? These guys being which guys? The guys who were forced to lay face down. Oh, yes. in... Indeed, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, so they're being forced, like, just to suffer, to live in cramped, horrible conditions. And so this is a place of psychic distress. Exactly. Yeah, it is indeed. Like, the conditions are awful. Um, like, the place is, I think it's like so much of Edinburgh is so full of paradox and irony and so much complexity there's there's so much in there um so these people were there forced lying face down um they could it turns out leave any time they wished all they had to do was to renounce their faith swear fealty to the king worship in his style i believe at the time episcopalian um but they choose to well many of them chose to stick to it to stick to their faith and to not succumb to not turn um now, the flip side of that, it sounds very heroic, but the flip side of that is if they had changed their faith and walked out of there, I don't know how well they would have done outside of those gates anyway. And so some did. Some did renounce their faith and change. Um, I don't know what happened to them. Um, so it is really tough. Um, the few that remained at the end of all of this, many, many died. The few that remained were sold into, sh- uh, into slavery, put into ships, set sail for the Americas, uh, and the ship hit the rocks uh, at Orkney. Oh, that's which that, are north of Scotland. Now, where does the poltergeist come into this? I always want to get yeah. to the poltergeist. <laughs> all right, all right. So sure. enough of this boring history stuff. Where does <laughs> where does Michael the take you down that historical road? <laughs> I'm where like, get the to Duggan? the ghost, man! Get to the ghost. The Doug and Bob Mackenzie poltergeist show up. Indeed. Hey. So, um, some of my colleagues believe the Mackenzie poltergeist turned up a long time ago, and it is just in the last twenty years. When we've had TV shows going on, social media, things like this, um, that it has become evident to people that it's grown as a phenomenon. Um, the certainly what happened is that in 1998, in a nearby tomb, a tomb by the name of uh, belonging to a name, oh my, belonging to a man by the name, or well, easy for me to say, belonging to a man by the name of 
George Mackenzie, the king's advocate at the time in the late 1600s. Um, what, does the king's advo- what does the king's advocate do? He just like, says good stuff about the king. Like, oh, man, he's like the hype man for the king. He's like, man, this king is awesome. You got to see this king, man. He's a lawyer uh, by origin and the oh, king's right-hand okay. man in the city. Um, okay. he, and I'm, mar- I'm married to a lawyer. I understand how, how oily they are. Oily? <laughs> <laughs> like mackerel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's the king's right. mackerel. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, where were we now? We are. We, we were talking about the king's advocate. That's right. Bob, He's Bob the man mackerel. responsible for placing all the, these 1,200 people inside this small area. It's his genius idea, his, his seal on it. Um, and yet he's also a man, by comparison, I don't think this is really recognised. He's demonised and villainised by many people, and it makes it simpler to do so. In fact, he is um, also a man who wrote early works on the notion that, um, that people were not evil or um, criminal by origin, by birth, that they could be educated out of crime, things like this. Um, so he was not an, an evil man. And turns out, and yet what he had to do George McKenzie started the whole rehabilitation kind of thing. Because, I mean, they used to, like, I I was watching a documentary on the Mm -hmm. history of prisons one time. And so, really, if somebody they thought was irredeemable, they just kill them, like back in the day. So, so George McKenzie was like, well, maybe we can redeem these people. Yeah, and educate them out of them. Yes, indeed, which is a real progressive notion at the time. So, again, here is an historical figure who was remarkably complex in the way he operated. And it, it's rarely as simple as we have in the space of an hour and a half on a tour, an hour and 15 minutes to, to get into. But we can do our best. So, right. he, his tomb is nearby. It's a grand, beautiful tomb. It is, it is exquisite in the stone masonry. It's real nice. It's the largest one there or so. Um, and uh, in 1998, his tomb is desecrated, broken into by a homeless guy. And very shortly after this, um, within days or weeks, depending on which versions of the story you hear, um, weird stuff starts going on. It's outside of his tomb that, um, that weird stuff starts happening. Um, this homeless guy broken in and discovered accidentally beneath Mackenzie's uh, coffins themselves that there are um, there's an additional burial ground beneath it that had been undisclosed. Okay. So he breaks into this as well. So that's two burial grounds desecrated for in one go quite impressive that's quite efficient um, within days weird stuff so well <laughs> days or weeks weird stuff starts happening so people start getting hit in the head by cold fists of air people start getting all sorts of weird experiences they tell the church who are not really in a position to do much about it um, and over the course of a year the activity the experiences move around into the Covenanters prison so these two places are intimately and inextricably linked by history and location so what's the Covenanters prison though? Like let's So the Covenanters were these people who signed this document, um some of them formed this army and headed down into England to fight for their their rights. So the, the Covenanters prison is the the concentration camp that we were talking about earlier. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Allison, what were you saying? And then I was going to ask so the um George Mackenzie's tomb, mm-hmm. that's the Black Mausoleum? No, that's not no. the case. Okay. George Mackenzie's tomb is nearby. The actual um Black Muslim tomb itself lies within the Covenanters' prison. I believe it belongs to the Dundas family. Hmm. Okay. So where do the attacks come in? I mean, where do they happen? Because oh, so they started outside <laughs> of Mackenzie's tomb shortly after it was desecrated. And then they moved along, along the path and then down into the prison and eventually after being speckled around the prison, which is now these days uh, lined on either side, with mausoleums, um, it, it's taken like, one particular mausoleum to largely focus in. And that's been the case ever since 1999 or so. And is that the Black Mausoleum? That's the Black Mausoleum, okay. yes. All right. So because I'm still working on my, my New Year's resolution, Mike, from, from last year to get maimed by a ghost. And so oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm taking notes here uh, as to where exactly I have to go to get maimed. Because the Fred, and, you've and been just maimed. just toe. And... Mike's been touched, and <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, to be part of this club, I really, you know, gotta get that. <laughs> I go there and stand by the wall. Yeah, the back. I, I gotta right. get that going on. Okay, so Fred, so you start um, working for the tours, like doing some accounting or working in the office, taking phone calls, kind of thing, and then eventually you're like, okay, I'm gonna run the tours. Now, when's the first time that uh, George Mackenzie touched you? 
It's the first time, buddy. The first time. <laughs> so I went in there with eight or so people. This is where I find, again, it's very interesting. So I went in there with eight people with me. On the ninth, I stand in the doorway of this tomb because I think it's a great idea to keep going into this place and keep a track of people from the doorway. Um, the eight of them stand in a, in a semi-semi-circle, I guess, a shallow semi-circle. Um, I'd say about um, ten feet into the tomb with maybe three okay. feet behind them to the wall. Very shortly after I begin, the tomb becomes, now, I'm going to say icy cold. I don't mean that there was a rapid drop in temperature, as is often recorded with these things. It is as if an icy cold hand was reaching inside and taking grip of the nervous system and throttling the life of out of it. It's a really weird, unple- so the, the cold uh, is, is an, inter- an, an internal sensation. It's from within. Mm-hmm. So it's an ah. internal sensation. And I do not feel comfortable at this point. And well, yeah, because you just had a, like an icy hand come in and grip your heart. Like most right. people would be like, hey, guys, I pooped him out. Right. Now, now have you, had you ever felt anything like that before? No, and it was my first tour as well. So that was also unnerving. <laughs> All right. So they <laughs> What an the, introduction. The, right? the ghost so. wanted to let you know that yeah. it's like, okay, if you're coming into my, my house, here's yeah. what we're going to do. The ghost is like, hello, Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to play a game? <laughs> so I look, I'm, I'm jumping around the place a little bit. The person to my left, in front of me to my left, they are also looking pretty nervous and wriggling around the place. I look over them <laughs> and ask them what's going on. They describe the same experience. And a person next to them says, yeah, um, I'm getting that too. And the person next to them says, yep, yep, I'm out, I'm done. And then the other four four or five, uh, yeah, the other five, um, all decide, yeah, they're getting some weird, nasty stuff going on, and it is time for all of us to leave. We spent an hour and five minutes building up to this, and we just forego the last ten minutes, because not one of us wants to stay in there a moment longer. Oh, wow, and that's the, that's the first tour you go on. So even oh, yes. when they were doing, like, even when you were learning it and stuff, like, now, did you feel that it was because you were, it kind of wanted, was it a, like a dominance, you know, like a, like an animal would try to be, be the dominant over the, like, hey, hey, Fred, this is my house. Or was it just the kind of thing of, they, they didn't like somebody on the tour? Or, you know, do you have any theories as to why that you had that experience, that first tour, when you've probably been in there before, when you were learning it? Mm. There are plenty of theories as to what might be the case, how people get singled out, why more than one person is affected or, or how they're affected, um, whether it's to do with the way they smell, their pheromones, such things exist for humans, their, um, whether it's something internal to them or the mindset, something that makes them particularly delicious. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I need to find out what that thing is. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well for me, I was just looking really good that day when Mackenzie Poltergeist wanted to All right. put his arm around me. He's like George Mackenzie's like, hey... <laughs> <You're looking> good. <laughs> I'm like, thanks, Ge- thanks, George. I've been working out. What makes you delicious to ghosts? That's that's my new question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna differ with a lot of people here and think that it's I don't think it's beneficial or productive to anthropomorphize this. I think that like that anything that we come up with is judged entirely by what it's like to be a human and our own mindset, and that's, that may not be the case. There's no evidence to suggest that it is the case. Um, so I'm going to say I don't know, actually, and I'm, I'm going to steer well clear of saying it's anything to do with what I think because I have no way of knowing and no evidence to back it up with. Now, Fred, when you felt that coldness, mm-hmm. um, was that when you got the scratch as well? No, that was a subsequent event. Okay. All right. Oh, wait. Well, how did you get scratched by the, by the Mackenzie Poltergeist? Like, what happened there? I've been there. So the mechanism, I don't know. Again, taking a tour, a fairly large tour, through into this particular prison was okay beforehand. Um, wearing, it's a, it's a cold night, so I'm wearing a leather jacket, thick, big leather jacket. Uh, like the Fonz. Uh, <laughs> you're basically, the, you're basically the... St- like Neo. You're basically the Scottish Fonz. <laughs> like okay. Neo, okay. He, he's okay. shifting, he's shifting your imagery. <laughs> he's like, not okay. the Fonz, Neo, man. Exactly. So think of a Scottish Neo. All right. And you, you, walk into the, you walk into the mausoleum and you're like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> or, hey. <laughs> Maybe both. Way. Anyway. Right. Um, so, 
Yeah, like I, I honestly, I felt nothing happening at the time. I walked out of there with two gouges down my chest, um, maybe a, a mil, mil or two deep, and like certainly like three mil, four mil wide, um, bleeding lightly. And, and I felt nothing at the time. And that is most commonly people's experience when they get scratched. It is not getting scratched that is necessarily so surprising. Um, it is the dramatic nature and consistency in the shapes and sizes of the scratches. And to get something like that, you would probably have had to feel something at some point, had somebody at least brush against you. And sometimes that simply doesn't happen. Well, I'm thinking about the scratches here. Did it look like a human nail? Did it look like an animal's nail? Like, or is it just like you had two scratches on your chest that were bleeding and you have no idea how you got there? They had to get through your uh, Matrix jacket to get at it. <laughs> and a jumper. Don't forget that. Yeah. <laughs> and a jumper. Two jumpers. Two jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it looked like um, someone had taken a red crayon down my chest like that. So okay. it didn't look like animal claws, nothing thin. They were, they were wide. And why they look much closer? <laughs> we, 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 we've been we've been so patient, quiet, and still in this room, but the lights have just turned so off. <laughs> All right. Alison's <laughs> waving her arms around like something out of a, a parking lot. <laughs> okay, so so to set up this set up the scene where we're doing the interview here, I'm here in Madison, Wisconsin, and Alison and Fred are in Chicago in some library. Yes, um, uh, the Lincoln Park uh, branch of the Chicago Library. Our gracious host for today. That's right. That's right. And then you're going to go and check out some books after this? Absolutely. Learning's winning. Okay, I mean, a Saturday isn't a Saturday without some books. That's right. So, Fred, you've got scratches on your chest. And if you may have been a little interested in the paranormal, like you said, growing up, so your mom and your sister had experiences, but your, you and your dad didn't. Were you freaked out by this? Or is this something normal for the, the guides and everybody and the people on the tour? Because the thing is, on our haunted history tours that we do in a bunch of cities in Wisconsin, we talk a big game about stories and we, you know, we talk about history and everything. But if I had finished a tour and there was a red crayon drawn down the middle of my chest that, that somebody had scratched me, I'd freak the heck out. So how did you feel at this point? Or is this just like, oh, yeah, it's just George. He's, ah, yeah, I didn't like me today. Real curious. And that's the answer. Real curious. Um, like, <laughs> I've been I've been studying the mind for so long. Uh, we know that people can create burns on their skin just through suggestion. We know that people can create all sorts of stuff and do all sorts of things. There, we have such a limited understanding of what is possible for humans. Um, so, it's just curiosity. Like, I mean, it happened once, and it happened for other people. And what I want to know is why, how come, what's happened? I mean, is it is it interaction with this thing? And if so, what is it? What makes it happen to some people, not others? I'm not, um, like at the time, I, I'm not, um, I don't believe in, um, let me rephrase this, I'm not so committed to this notion of people's current appreciation of ghosts, poltergeists, apparitions, okay. all the rest of this stuff. Um, there is something going on for sure. And I find it absolutely fascinating. And I don't really want to jump to any conclusions because that's going to color and distort any additional information that I get. People have a wonderful tendency towards information bias and believing anything that supports their existing belief system. Um, and it'd be easy for me to get sucked, no, sucked is the wrong choice of words again, to get sucked into this um, and and go all out for, what, for whatever everybody else is telling me, what everybody else is is like putting around the internet or in books and things like this. Um, and many of them are really well researched. Um, but I just don't want to buy into something that's going to blind me to whatever else is going on. So far, I've had some experiences. Other people have had their experiences. Um, and what I want is some kind of evidence um, that is reproducible, some kind of evidence that is um, that can be backed up with research and reproducibility and validatability. Is that a word? We're gonna. It can yeah. be for today. All, all words are made up anyway. That is, you, you're in a library, so you're allowed to make words. Hey. But and by this, I don't mean. To, I, most importantly, above all this, um, I don't wish to denigrate or to um, to dismiss anybody's experience in their belief systems. That is not my intention, and that is not important. Through all of this, whenever I run my tour, my perspective and my my belief is this: it is not my job to tell you what to believe. My job is to give you some of the history. 
My job is to let you know what people have been experiencing, what's been going on, and distract you long enough for something to happen. Entertain you, scare you, whatever it is. Because I've been studying the mind for so long. I know this. People are turned up doing um, like investigations, alleged investigations. And they just turn out to be um, poorly used hypnosis. That's it. Just suggestion. And of course, we know that 20-25% of the population are what's referred to as somnambulistic, meaning they refer and they... Um, very hypnotizable, right? Well, yeah, they just take on board ideas and suggestions very rapidly and they can express them very powerfully. And it's not a, a bad thing, it is a wonderful thing for the right suggestions. You imagine that if you had um, a neuro neurosis or a phobia, and you could outgrow that just by somebody saying, hey, you know, you can outgrow that. You know, oh, yeah, I can outgrow that. And then you're done. I mean, it's an amazing <laughs> skill to have. Right, that right? would be <clears throat> Unfortunately, sweet. in our society, we're surrounded by really, really shitty hypnosis and suggestion all the time. Okay, well, well let's, I mean, let's, let's move the conversation then into that. So we, we've discussed the Mackenzie Poltergeist, and we can get back to that in a little bit too. But also, when we're talking about hypnosis and suggestion, when you say that in our society we're surrounded by negative suggestions, what do you mean? Let's rephrase this from negative suggestions. It has a different okay. connotation within the industry. Um, they're just being poorly phrased or hypnosis that has a less than delightful uh, outcome or implication. So, for example, the classic one, and it's true to an extent, is the classic, let, don't think of the color blue. All right? To get there, you pretty much have to work out what blue is and then negate that. Now, whether you are aware of thinking of blue consciously or not, the processing that has to happen for the mind is still what is not blue. Right? So at least there's a piece of that in your mind. Um, it also gives the mind nowhere to go with it. Well, if not blue, then what? Right? So it makes much more sense um, for well-formed suggestions uh, to and instructions to be more explicit and focus on what we do want. Okay. So instead of stop smoking... Like, breathe clean, healthy air. Mm. So it, it's it's reframing how you think about things uh, can be one of the ways that you can retrain your brain. Because, exactly. like, I was talking to somebody about um, he had quit drinking, you know, for like the past six months or whatever, and he was just like, "Yeah, but I was just so used to drinking for so long, I had to." think about what I was going to do in a positive sense, not a negative sense. He had to th he couldn't think of like, I can't believe I'm not drinking. He had to think of, I get to do these other things. <laughs> I get to drive more or, you know, or whatever in that kind of positive way. So is that kind of what you mean? Indeed, that is definitely a portion of it. Yes. Yeah. And so much of what is our sense of possibility and our reality and who we think we are um, is determined so much by these ideas that we pay little attention to consciously, the constructs of ourselves in our mind and those can be largely um, inaccurate as well so how many times have you found somebody doing something that was um, not an appropriate behavior shall we say or something that was unproductive and when they've been pulled up and they said i can't believe i did that that's just not me but it is them. right they yeah. did this it is something <laughs> right. they have yeah. done it is who, who was it then <laughs> <laughs> right that, that's, well, that's yeah. not me well i mean we hear that in in like people's uh, apologies all the time they're like, I'm not that kind of person. I, you know, I don't do those kind of things. And but it, you, you're the one that did it, so you are that kind of person, and you did do those things. Like, so your apology is, I was, uh, you know, I did. It, it's like not taking responsibility for your actions. I, That's I don't exactly do those kind it. Of things. That's very but perceptive, Mike. That's exactly it. And that not taking responsibility for it can can sometimes leave us more trapped um, in a prison of our own making than. Well, when, you, when, you, when you're talking about uh, hypnosis and suggestion and things like that, so when did you start getting interested in that? Like, are you like hypnotizing people on a tour to be like, and you're going to want to give tips at the end of this? Like, <laughs> you don't have to give tips, but if you really want to give tips at the end of this tour, like I'll be hanging out in the corner uh, with my hand out for your <laughs> tips, but you don't have to give tips. And we didn't want you to give tips, but just in case you want to give tips. Like, yeah, crazy. You want to give us tips. This is the time to do it. Like right after. Like, so... When did you start thinking about suggestion and hypnosis? Um, so, that's a very good question. First of all, I, I've not done um, the tips thing. I know people who have, okay. it's lots of fun, and I'm going to back it up with this. 
It's my firm belief, especially after training so much and being in Chicago here to see my friend and mentor, Barb Stepp of XLQuest.com um, and her no-fault psychology and other than conscious communication. Um, she and I both believe that, um, that you can't make people do anything, pretty much. Right? The best hypnotist we've got is sitting right behind, I'm sorry, right behind our belly button. Um, and almost all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. Right? Um, so we make a choice and... Um, it, we have become so accustomed to relinquishing that choice that we forget that we ever had the choice in the first place. It going, even going back as far as the philosopher Spinoza um, pointing out that we exist, um, I think it's him anyways, that we exist not in the moment, but a moment after the moment. Right? Knowing that we have that gap in between means that we can choose a different response. We have responsibility for our actions. And it's what, um, through no-fault psychology, is known as being a response-able adult, responsible. Um, so let's go back at the start. So I first found out long back, um, I was at a fencing training camp in Poland. I found myself uh, with a crush on a As, phenomenal- wait, uh, Hold on, hold on. I was, <laughs> like I, was at a, I was at a fencing training camp in Poland. Um, so that sounds like something Dr. Evil would say or something like that. Like, you know. so, so how did you get to the fencing training camp in Poland? Like, were you a, like a, a master fencer? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were training. Exactly. Uh, and so like what part of, and Alice and I are all excited about Poland because that's the homeland. Yeah, really, right. Um, it was lovely. I got taken over there but with a few um, fellow fencers from around the London area. Um, we went over in a coach and just spent a week, two weeks there, I think. Um, just intensive training camp, fencing, the Polish kids out there. Um, Stabbing Polacks left and right. <laughs> They were, it's a, it was a beautiful piece of countryside. Um, the weather was incredible. The people were enormously friendly and welcoming. welcoming. Uh, at the time, the food was disastrous. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed it. Um, so I was out there with a crush on a girl and um, discovered that my heart, in a typical sort of teenager, angsty, first crush way, my heart would start aching and I got curious. I thought, wow, the more I focus on this particular sensation, I can turn it up. I wonder if I can turn it down. And I could. I thought, wait a minute, if I'm in control of this, what else am I in control of? Right? And more than that, what else is everybody else doing to themselves that they're doing without realizing it? And how come more people aren't getting curious about maybe there's a different way? Maybe there's a different way of doing stuff appreciating okay. the world which would give us more uh, agency in our own lives so fast forward from that age of 16 or so I think I'm in Seattle um, and at a bookshop and I find a book on old direct authoritarian style hypnosis one dating back I think to the 30s and one I think to the late 40s or 50s um, read them but the style of communication was was not for me it was very, you've seen like classic snippets of it in the old hypnosis movies of your eyes are getting sleepy, your eyelids are feeling heavy, oh, yeah, or the rest of his stuff. No, I used to, um, I, I, I was a, a nail chewer for a long time, like so, so I was at 12 years old. So I'd go to the <laughs> library, uh, not the Lincoln Park one, but the Waukesha Library, and I would get books on self hypnosis and I'd record little tapes of trying to hypnotize myself to, so I wouldn't stop chewing my nails. How did that work out for you? Uh, it actually did work. Nice, um, congratulations. Yeah, so I, I, but um, that was the thing. So I know exactly what you're talking about because you would get these books from the 50s and then mm -hmm. you would uh, try to you know, learn what they said. But they would say stuff like, okay, and your eyes are getting drowsy now. And uh, you're starting to think like, hey, Mike, don't chew your nails. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. So, so those books didn't quite work out for you. So when did, were you finding something that did? Sure. So we fast forward um, to the early 2000s. Darren Brown, a phenomenal mentalist in the UK, is busy making waves um, and uh, persuasion in the world of pickup is also on the go as well. Um, oh, yeah. Like, well, okay. So Neil Strauss in the game, right? Exactly. And he's he the guy that along. The kind he of was engaged the book. early on, but he was his books came out much later in the process. Yes, indeed. These things are what we're talking about as well. Um, and so there are lots of work to provide examples and the work previously of um, Milton Erickson and the guy I've been studying, uh, Dave Dobson, and the work based on the two of them, 
neurolinguistic programming, um, amongst other people they modeled for NLP, um, is really coming to the fore. And it really brings out into the public eye this notion of indirect or um, permissive hypnosis as well. So instead of your eyes are getting sleepy, your eyelids are feeling heavy, you're feeling sleepy, you're feeling sleepy, it could be, I don't know, Mike, if you've noticed that one of your hands feels different from the other. And as you direct your attention to your hands, you can begin to relax. <laughs> right? Oh, no. Oh, no, we lost Mike. <laughs> bring him back, Brad, bring him back. <laughs> so it's but, a much more enjoyable way of communicating, I think. And it's um, it's for many people being told what to do and what's going on for them. When it doesn't match their ongoing experience, it can be um, quite jarring. So that style changed that for me and that permitted me, that opened the doorway to get involved in a way of communication that actually made much more sense and much more comfortable for me. And I think, got to, yeah. Well, we talk about persuasion and hypnosis. You know, when you think about, you read those, you read the books like, uh, who's the guy, Robert Cialdini is the kind of guy that came up with like, like a business form uh, of persuasion mm-hmm. uh, in his book of the same name. And when you're talking about that stuff, when you, when you said that the, the best form of self-hypnosis or the, the most obvious is, is self-hypnosis, I really think that you, you can't make people do things that they don't want to do. Uh, or am I, am I wrong there? Because like we talked to David Parr uh, a couple months ago, and, and David was talking about that hypnosis was a really powerful way. Um, and he doesn't like the way that stage magicians kind of, you know, they, they use hypnosis as a means of entertainment when it can be a powerful way of programming the brain. So do you think that people like when they balk like a chicken or whatever, do they really want to balk like a chicken? Sure. So it's a complex issue, I think, Mike. Um, th- I think, do genuinely believe that almost all hypnosis is self-hypnosis, and therefore we have a choice. But many people are not aware of this. They right? have not had the training. Um, and um, some hypnosis, especially with things like shock inductions, can make it very tricky to, to acknowledge that. What's a shock so what, induction? Yeah, what's you've a shock them, induction? You've seen them on the stage hypnosis shows where people maybe do things like um, palm people on the forehead. Any kind of rapid shock experience um, that gives them a little, what's going on? And then the next couple of suggestions are fairly effective. Right? Oh, okay. Um, so, so with this, it's accurate. Um, also, I think somnambulists is people who respond powerfully and effectively to suggestions through much of their life. Um they do have the choice of choosing their response but for them like it, they'd have to at that point there most of our um society is geared around especially now more than ever is geared around getting your attention persuading you to do stuff making you keep flicking clicking swiping um buying consuming all the rest of this uh, it's so pervasive that without being put like plucked out of that i think lifted out of that and set down to get a decent perspective on it and some training. Uh, it can be very tricky for them to have an appreciation of this consciously. So it is like the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> right, you gotta take the, take the red pill. <laughs> take all the pills. <laughs> what happens right. if you take both? <laughs> <laughs> what happens if you take the purple pill? Well, there's another example of an implied hypnotic suggestion. It's called a double bind. Is it not a double bind? Oh, yeah, it is a double bind. Um, and more besides, so the idea that you can take a red pill or a blue pill, meaning you're going to take a pill, but which one is it? And you could even take both pills, but you don't think about that either. And there's loads of this stuff going on all around us. Our society, sales, marketing is all predicated on it. Um, and you find a fascinating book in the form of Dan Ariely, Predictably Irrational, who does loads of research into our assumptions that we are um, rational actors in our own lives. And it's just simply, it's simply not the case. It's not the case. Humans are not rational. Yeah, we're put into a system, more likely, right? People I have dated are not rational. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that people that seems rational. to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, okay. So, so what's, an, oh, what's yeah. a good example, though, like you would say, of something where um, you see obvious, you know, persuasion techniques or you know, what's, what's an example of something in maybe marketing that you've seen recently um, that it's, it's obviously people are pulling the strings and, and do you use it on your tour at all? Okay, so that was the point I wanted to come back to, that second one. Let's go for the first, first of all. Walk down any supermarket aisle and you're surrounded by it. 
the way it's structured, the way it's laid out, which items are on which shelves, the way the labels are facing, the colours, the colours of the special discount labels. Uh, every single thing about it is calculated and planned. And of course it is. Right? They're responsible to shareholders. They've got to compete. Right? You can't blame them for this. I just mm. think it's incumbent on us, if we're interested in our own well-being, to find out more about it and to monitor what goes on for us. Um, so in regards to the second question, um, since I have cleared up my language and my tour in terms of the suggestions implied therein, I'll do my best to create language to give people an experience of what life would have been like so they can revivify as best as I can encourage, provide an environment for them to do so, what it was like to be back in these places. For me, the enjoyable part of history is not the kings, it's not the queens, it's not the dates, the figures, the battles and what happened and stuff like this. It's actually going back and re-experiencing it. It's about what life was like for these people and what it's like for us now. It's about what kind of people they were, how they lived, what their relationships were like. Um, it's about the very human aspect of it. That's the bit that I find interesting and that's what drew me back into history after I gave it up at the age of 14. Um, there was just too many dates and it just overwhelmed me. It wasn't interesting. Nothing. I, I did. I really enjoyed dinosaurs. I really enjoyed the Egyptians and the Romans. And then I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> I just right, stopped yeah, doing that's it. it. You get to a certain point and you're like, you know what? Western civilization, fine. Whatever. Like once, to me, it's like once the Great Schism happened, it's like, ah, oh, Holy Roman Empire. And I'm like, I'm, I'm out. And what we see is history repeating itself time and time again with people making the same mistakes. Greed, power, lust. Great. Look around right, now. It, it's right. It's the it's the soap opera. Uh, you know, it's 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 the most real soap opera around. So okay, uh, so Fred, you got back into history. You you're doing the tours, and uh, Scotland I thought was a beautiful place. There's parts that look like you know you're on the moon. You know, you get so it really is a uh, when people talk about the majesty, the mountains. It really is something else, but. When we're talking about weather, I mean, Scotland also gets cold, like you were saying, even when you're wearing your kilt, uh, you know, and some wind blows up there. But what's a place? What's, <laughs> what's fixated on the kilt thing. I, I think you, you have, uh, do you have a desire for, for wearing a kilt, Mike? Is, is that I, something you, you find yourself, uh, you know, uh, after a hard day, you want to get into that kilt? Well, Obviously, Can I and send I've, you one I've for got Christmas. a kilt. <laughs> and I, no, I've 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 got a kilt. It actually was uh, made for me by someone. She put her like family's colors or whatever on the whole thing with the tartan and stuff like that. Oh, lovely. Um, so I do it. I, I have. I mean, obviously, never wear underwear on it. But the thing is, <laughs> what's a place I can wear that kilt and not be afraid of the wind coming in and rustling my jumblies? When Scotland. I don't, I don't know. No place, or, right? Inside, inside, go indoors. Or, or Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> uh, okay, I so I was, I was pitching softballs for like the past two minutes here, and all you guys could talk about was the kill. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what we want to talk about is the idea is oh, there is something that, that Allison is part of, that I'm going to be part of, and Fred, you're going to be part of too, coming up next year, and let's hear about it. The Hawaii Paracon. Yeah, yeah HawaiiParacon.com. It's amazing. Christ, it's going to be what, a new perspective what, what, what on it. What have I got to do to get you guys to talk about this? So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to meeting Lopaka in the flesh, seeing him and his lovely wife. Um, I'm looking forward to an entirely different culture, something so different to the Scottish one. All, right, all, of, the, um, all of the rituals and all of the belief systems that go with it, um, the different customs, different burials, different graveyards, sacred sites. Right. I'm just. I'm really looking forward to a totally different culture. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I'm looking forward so. to seeing Alison at the Carver ceremony. <laughs> Drinking Carver once again. <laughs> and that's the thing. So that that's what we just wanted to mention that the Hawaii Paracon is going to happen Friday the 13th in July 2018. Yeah, the 13th through the 15th, uh, 2018. And if you guys are thinking about doing something, uh, if you're going to, everybody wants to go to Hawaii, 
And if you were thinking of a time to go to Hawaii, the time would be to hang out with all of us at the Hawaii Paragon. Right, because this this is going to be a different paranormal conference. Uh, it's more of an international focus, you know, more of uh, a, a mixing of cultures. You know, we'll have Fred, and he can talk about uh, the poltergeist experience and other things from Scotland. Um, and he's going to hypnotize you, too. And he's going to hypnotize you, too. Paragon. Fred will hypnotize you. <laughs> so so you'll know you like that it was the best. No, no, no. He's going to hypnotize you so you'll know forevermore that this was the best experience you've ever had in your life. <laughs> so that's why you, you, you absolutely have to be there. Um, but, you know, more than um, that, you know, we're going to bring in authentic Hawaiian culture, as we were saying, uh, because Lopaka Kapanui of uh, Mysteries of Hawaii is the organizer, and he's a native Hawaiian who... Ha- took over the Haunted History Tour, started there on Oahu by Glenn Grant, and has been leading the tours ever since. Uh, he also um, has a lot of connections to other people uh, in uh, on the islands uh, and other cultures, like the Japanese culture, which has a huge influence in Hawaii. So we're, we're going to have uh, Jap- Japanese speakers as well. So if you were ever thinking about a paranormal conference, but you're like, hey, I don't want to see the same old speakers, you're not. You're going to get a completely different experience uh, than you've ever had, and you're going to come into contact with other cultures that you've never experienced before. So, you know, there's so much promise in this. And uh, we shouldn't forget that uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk will be joining us as well. I'm really looking forward to seeing all the other speakers that are coming up. They, I've heard them speak briefly on the internet. Um, I've heard Alison do some of her podcasts. Like, I'm speaking to you, Mike. Like, I'm really looking forward to seeing all these people. And it's going to be amazing. Great lineup. So make sure you check that out, and we're going to have a link to that in the show notes. We'll be talking more about the Hawaii Paracon in upcoming episodes as well. But Fred, if people want to visit you and want to take your tour, where is the place that they can go to where they can visit Fred live in a kilt? It won't be in a kilt, mate. <laughs> not without underwear. That I've got I've, I've to keep busting chops. This, this is this is what he wants, though. You know, you, <laughs> just just humor him. Just humor him. I'll send you a picture. But I saw Braveheart like four hundred times. Uh, so, Edinburgh, cityofthedeadtours.com. Now, the tours run nightly. We're moving on to the winter schedule. Um, I think it's fairly safe to say that you can pick a tour at any time of day and it's going to be dark. Um, yeah, they're all really good. If you want to see both together, both the vaults, the Southbridge vaults and the Covenanters prison, of which we have sole access at the moment, um, you're welcome to go on the double dead tour. Very popular. If you're interested in Ooh, just double the one, dead. Indeed, right? <laughs> so Finish much better one. than single dead. Yep. Well, and I, I, I can vouch for the tours too. That's of all, I've been on, I don't know, like 30 or 40 haunted history tours around the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the City of the Dead, besides Allison's tour and besides my tour. <laughs> Absolutely. I hear only great is things. The, is the finest tour um, that's out there. So really, in the world. something. Edinburgh is some kind of city, like the castle. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a beautiful city, awesome place. The Scots party hard and they party early. That's just a tip. Um, from from what I learned out there, like, like I'm like it's like eight o'clock and everybody's blasting. <laughs> but but you know most importantly, you could get maimed by a poltergeist. And and what happens, Fred? Uh, you know, because this really impressed me when when I I talked to you about it. When when someone has an experience, when they get scratched or burned or bitten, I mean, what do you guys do about it? Well, we'll do our best to coerce your story from you any way we can, so we can <laughs> so we can document it. Like if we if it was up to us, we'd cheat. Well, of course, we would. It'd be hilarious. We'd write all sorts of stuff, but it has to come from somebody who we can persuade. It's in their interests not only to write down what's happened to them if they're in any position to do so, um, but also to get them to put a name, signature, date to it, and some way of contacting them, so we know it's it's really them. So you actually document every case that you can. It is one of the best documented supernormal cases. And and so, how many are are we up to? Oh, no idea. We're past five hundred, right? We've got we had four hundred and something, and that was like ten years ago. So okay. I have no idea what we're at now. So way past way past five hundred. Yeah, oh, it would, it would yeah. be great to you know do an audit on that and see how many cases you have now. So um, and a lot of these come with with photographs as well, so you Some can really do. document yeah. Um, yeah. what happened. Yeah. Okay, so I think that's really impressive, and, and not, not a lot of tours actually do that. And Fred, um, where can we find more about your hypnosis work? Sure, so I have a webpage at Mind Spa Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y. 
mindspotodyssey.com. Uh, and also over at uh, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash mindspotodyssey. Uh, there's, if you're looking for a little sample as to what I'm doing for my mental well-being program, um, you'll get it with the journey into relaxation and soon the inner goddess. Ooh. It's really well, nice. I'm always looking for my inner goddess. <laughs> That's fantastic. And we'll make sure make sure you check out the show notes and you can click on those links and you can check out uh, num- number one, uh, the awesome City of the Dead tours where you can get touched by the McCunsey Poltergeist just like I was. And I really, I don't, that never happens to me. And I'm like, I, I thought it was my wife being affectionate. I should have known it was the Poltergeist. Um, <laughs> But uh, we're real friendly up north. <laughs> but number two, uh, you can check out some of that fun hypnosis stuff and just learn how to. And as someone who's done self hypnosis and things like that, just learn how to let go a little bit and check it out. And so we're going to put those things in the show notes so you can check them there. Fred, thank you very much for joining us today. Allison, obviously, I uh, don't hate you as much as I usually do. And, <laughs> thank you, Mike. The feeling is mutual. Right, I only hate you the slightest bit. And now let's go check out a song. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Madison. I cannot believe how many scary things happen on that tour. I know. It is a pretty scary tour. I have to go on it now. I guess I need to go to Edinburgh. Edinburgh. I've got to say that, you know, I thought that Scotland was going to be... I just didn't think it was going to be like, like it's magical. Like I really think it got me. It got, Scotland was one of my favorite places I've ever been to in my life. So wow. Edinburgh was one of the, like the greatest city I've ever been to. Like I, for some reason, Scotland got me. I'm sold, Mike. You should be on their tourism board. I should be on the. I I should be on the tourism board, laddie. I can take it go to Scotland. That's right. You know. But that's the thing. Like, I just really had a really good time, and uh, I spent a few days there, and I, I can't wait to get back. Oh, so, I, I can't wait to go on Fred's tour. Yeah, it really, the City of the Dead is the best ghost tour I've ever been on, um, and it's just a, it's a great place to go. So I would, I would heartily recommend the British Isles to anybody. Now, as Fred mentioned, the Mackenzie Poltergeist is named after Sir George Mackenzie. And what bloody Mackenzie did was he persecuted the Presbyterian Scotsmen who just wanted to practice their own religion. Now, George Mackenzie worked for King Charles II, who was trying to unify the whole United Kingdom under his run state Anglican religion. And, well, that led to over 18,000 Scotsmen dying, and that was called the Killing Time. So, when George Mackenzie finally died in 1691, he was buried in the Black Mausoleum along with all the victims of his own war crimes that he persecuted. That's one of the reasons they think that the Mackenzie poltergeist is so full of hatred because it has those competing forces left together until the end of time. Anyway, that's what this song is about, and it's Sunspot with Killing Time. Sick with hatred and envy Souls that aren't just looking for some peace A madness that we dare not comprehend The angry dead are looking for revenge All gone in the killing time All gone in the killing time Oh, 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 oh,
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. You know, we can't forget about our man, Ned. Birthday boy, Ned. Yes, Ned just had a birthday, so happy birthday, Ned. Ned. And thank you very much for your Patreon support. You see, Dr. Ned is at a uh, membership level of the Other Side Podcast Patreon, where he gets mentioned in every single episode. Could you be that kind of person? I think you could. I believe in you. Yeah. And you can definitely, you can go to othersidepodcast.com slash donate or patreon.com slash sunspot music and you can see how you can be part of our community. We do hangouts and uh, the Patreon members come in, they give us ideas for shows and, you know, we talk to everybody and we get the best feedback from those Patreon members. We do indeed. And we love them all. So thank each and every one of you. For being part of our community. You guys are getting audio hugs right now. Oh. Oh, Audio hugs is so nice. Mwa <laughs> 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 <laughs>